Welcome to Glioblastoma, aka GBM, a podcast brought to you by the Glioblastoma Research Organization, highlighting stories of GBM warriors, caregivers, medical advisors, and more. Join us this season as we connect with members of our incredible community and have meaningful and insightful chats regarding all things glioblastoma. Please note that any information provided on the show is not meant to treat, diagnose, or prevent any disease, and all information that is discussed in our conversation is what worked for the individual themselves and should not be taken as advice. The information provided on this show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, and you should contact your medical provider and healthcare team with any questions. Dr. Vidya Gopalakrishnan, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Glioblastoma, aka GBM. I am so excited to be here with you today. You are one of our esteemed medical advisory board members, and it's so nice to finally meet you in person. It's good to meet you, and thank you for having me. So you are a PhD at one of the top cancer centers in the world. You're an advisory board member for our nonprofit organization. You have an incredible resume in the medical field, but most importantly, you have a really special story with brain cancer and especially how you also got into pediatrics. Can you go ahead and share a little bit about your story as to first why you got involved with brain cancer and then secondly, why pediatrics? Absolutely. First, uh, it's an honor to be at MD Anderson Cancer Center. As far as the uh, uh, my advent into brain cancer, some of it is personal and uh, personal circumstances, and and secondly, perhaps uh, serendipity. I lost a couple of my family members to uh, neural cancers. One of them to brain cancer. I know firsthand what it is to take care of uh, someone with brain cancer. And um, also, both from the patient end as well as from the caregiver's uh, perspective, it's, it's a hard road. And so I want to do my bit to uh, make a difference over there. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I say serendipity as far as pediatric brain tumors go, because my work at that point and still is um, very much focused on understanding the process of uh, neurogenesis. And uh, by neurogenesis, I mean the process by which stem cells become neurons. And neurons are these specialized cells in your brain, very much uh, like uh, the wires, uh, you know, that carry electricity. These help communicate, uh, help with communication in the brain. It turns out that the, uh, one of the most malignant, common malignant pediatric brain tumors, a medulloblastoma, is a, a tumor in which neurogenesis is affected. So it made perfect sense for me to understand how medulloblastomas form and from there take a step back and perhaps understand what's the normal process. And so by doing this, I believed that I could uh, understand what steps have gone wrong in the process of tumor genesis and then uh, go on to identify druggable uh, targets, if you will. Other aspect of of my work involves meeting with uh, patients and their families. And when you talk to them, you realize how much they value your work, how important it is to them, and how it's very much, very, very important, incumbent upon us to help them. And I, in many ways, I feel we owe it to them. So here I am. What is that like for you connecting with patients and families one-on-one? It's incredibly personal in many ways. You've, you, you meet them and you realize how much this work means to them, how much this is, uh, they rely on you or uh, on you to, to kind of make the next, take the next steps. Mm-hmm. 
And that is a serious responsibility. You feel an enormous sense of responsibility. They fight the hard fight. They do the real. They are at the forefront of this fight. Mm -hmm. And the least we can do is help them along. Absolutely. And so there are many different tumors that range from pediatric all the way to adults. In layman's term, can you explain maybe a few of the very common ones in pediatrics versus the ones like leioblastoma, which are more prevalent in adults? Cancer is a disease when a cell divides uncontrollably. It may have mutations. Essentially, it's, it's a process that's deregulated, right? So as you said, brain cancers can happen in, occur in children. It can occur in adults. The most frequent brain tumor in adults is glioblastoma multiforme, mm -hmm. by far the most malignant one as well. In children, you have a variety of different tumors, and that depends on which cell type it arises from. So if the neurons, so you have neurons, you have astrocytes, you have oligodendrocytes, and a whole series of cells. And the, uh, so if you have tumors that come out of, uh, that arise from neurons, for example, uh, they're neuronal cancers. Medulloblastoma would be an example of those. Astrocytes, now again, it is, it is the largest cell type in the brain. And it is, it's sort of a nurse cell, if you will. And in adults, these give rise to astrocytomas, GBM which is a grade four astrocytoma. In uh, pediatrics, you have the pilocytic astrocytoma, which is grade one. You have the diffuse astrocytoma, which is grade two, anaplastic astrocytoma, which is grade three, and GBMs, which are grade four. Uh, you have the oligodendrocytes, uh, which wrap themselves around uh, the nerve uh, processes, neuron neuronal processes, very much like the insulation around a copper wire. Right. These uh, tumors are called oligodendroglioma. DIPG is an example of, of a tumor that arises from oligodendrocytes. Then ependymomas are cancers that can occur both in children and adults. Ependymomas arise from cells called ependymal cells. Uh, these are involved in uh, CSF uh, uh, transport, mm -hmm. cerebrospinal fluid transport. And then you have the more the rarer tumors, such as the choroid plexus cancers, again, choroid plexus is the uh, uh, cell in which uh, CSF is made. Uh, you have other embryonal tumors like ATRT and so on and so forth. So and then you go on to, uh, you know, you have these very, very rare tumors. Mm -hmm. In general, pediatric cancers tend to be infratentorial, which means it occurs and they occur in the hindbrain. Adult tumors like GBM occur in the forebrain, which is the frontal lobes. Is there a reason why? I, I think it's got more to do with development. And um, infratentorial region is the one that's more actively developing, dividing in children. And so then when you have an active state of division of cells, you increase the chances of accumulating uh, a tumorogenic event. The goal of your research is to understand how pediatric brain tumors develop and how to translate the information for therapeutic pro uh, purposes. Are there any signs or markers that have pointed in the direction of finding an answer yet? Let me take medulloblastoma as an example. Okay, so medulloblastoma, uh, mutations are found in medulloblastomas. By far, they are, many of pediatric, many of the pediatric brain cancers have their origins in developmental processes that have gone wrong. And development, by definition, involves a whole host of epigenetic events. So what do we mean by epigenetics? So if you think of our DNA, all of us have the same structure. It's about two meters long. Uh, it consists of four different um, bases that are combined in various combinations. It's the same thing, right? But this two meters long piece of, if you will, like a thread, is has to be packed into 
a nucleus of the cell, which is about 10 microns. And that's one millionth the size of the actual size of the DNA. So how do you um, package that? So if you can imagine, that's done by winding DNA around proteins called histones. This process is highly regulated. It's wound, so when you wind DNA around histones, you end up with a bead, uh, like, um, bead on a string structure. This can now fit into the nucleus. But also means that when the DNA is replicated or the DNA has to be expressed, the gene has to be expressed from that region, that region has to be opened up and it has to be packaged back again. In cancers like medulloblastoma, that process goes wrong. Now, if we understand what that process is, we can begin to understand what has gone wrong, how is that, how can that be fixed? So, for example, in our own case, we found that there's a, a master regulator of neurogenesis in medulloblastoma called REST, uh, spelled R-E-S-T. It's an acronym for the RE1 silencing transcription factor. What we found is that anytime you have rest in um, medulloblastoma, especially in the uh, certain subsets of medulloblastoma, those patients tend to have metastasis. One could, although this, you know, when you use the term biomarker, it has to be, especially in the clinical sense, there is a more uh, formal connotation to it. So I'm going to use biomarker in a, more, uh, in a looser sense. So rest, for example, if rest is expressed, that could be an indication that this tumor may be metastatic. And that's the way we've modeled it in mice, and we show that that indeed is the case. So can we target rest? Rest is associated with a, a number of other uh, druggable uh, cofactors, if you will. It's associated with those. It binds to DNA, but it's associated with those. Those can be targeted. There are drugs out there that you can target. Now, we need to make sure it's specific. Once we learn that rest is a problem in medulloblastoma, we, you know, we can then begin to target any pediatric brain tumor where rest um, has a role to play, ATRTs and DIPGs. We do know that rest plays a role there. Mm -hmm. So uh, one could then begin to look at pathways that rest deregulates, uh, one can begin to see if immunotherapy might work in the context of rest, you know, and so on and so forth. So it's then a matter of you do drug screens and see what are the drugs that might work in the context of uh, having disturbed rest expression. That's so interesting. I know, so your lab primarily focuses on medulloblastoma and DIPG. Do those have any similarities to glioblastoma? Medulloblastoma is yes and no. The short answer, right? Medulloblastomas are neuronal cells. DIPG, they arise from neuronal cells. And DIPGs arise from oligodendroglial cells. GBMs arise from astrocytic cells. So GBMs and DIPGs are more closely related in that both, both arise from a, uh, a common precursor called the glial, uh, glial cell. It's, they're both glial. You can also assume that neuronal cells and glial cells are also related because they all have a common precursor cell called the neural stem cell. So in a way, they start from a common ancestor and then they move along their separate uh, uh, lineage, uh, lineage uh, uh, pathways, if you will. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in that sense, they do have some commonalities, but they're also uh, distinct entities, which is why you end up having different kinds of cancers. The scientific field is in general uh, beginning to realize that the cancer cell is not a separate entity. It is a social being, and it needs support from the surrounding uh, environment. And when you cut off that support, 
you may affect the cancer cell as well. So there's a great push towards understanding what that support structure looks like. In a way, it has to be a multi-pronged approach to treating the uh, cancer. It, it sort of previously it was, oh, we just have to hit the cancer cell, but that's not so because if the surrounding cells can support even a uh, semi, uh, you know, uh, injured cancer cell, if you will, after chemotherapy and nurse it back to health, here you go. The cancer can come back. And speaking of, you know, multiple approaches to cancer, immunotherapy is something very popular that MD Anderson in specific is working on. Can you share more of your, you know, thoughts about immunotherapy, how you feel like it's impacting the brain cancer community and what that sort of looks like for the future? Immunotherapy is, in, in, in short, is a treatment which uses your body's own immune system leverages your body's own immune system to fight cancers. There are different kinds of immunotherapy approaches. You have the checkpoint inhibitors, um, the checkpoint therapy in which the goal is to allow the immune system to fight for a longer time. And then you have the adoptive um, cellular therapy. You have T cells, you have NK cells. These are the T cells and NK cells are different components of the immune system. And then you can also engineer these cells such that um, they recognize the tumor um, better. Frequently, the T cells or the NK cells are expanded outside of the patient's body and, and then infused back into the patient so that now you have massive amounts of cells of a specific kind of cell to, to better target the tumor. Then you have cancer vaccines. They very much work like every other vaccine that we know. And uh, you have cytokine therapy. It's almost like there are certain chemicals that immune cells need to become more active. And you can use those chemicals. They're not necessarily chemicals, they're proteins. But I'm using the word chemical just to make an analogy. Mm -hmm. And uh, these proteins can also uh, be given, uh, these the cytokines can also be administered to the patient to boost their immune system. That's another uh, approach. And then you have the monoclonal um, antibody therapy which is you look at the uh, patient's tumor, uh, realize that there are certain proteins that are present on the uh, patient's tumor a little bit more than in other cell types uh, uh, or in the normal uh, cell, and then you go on to develop antibodies against it. Antibodies are produced naturally in our body. Now you're manufacturing them uh, ex vivo outside the, uh, you know, uh, in, in a petri dish. Uh, or in a model animal, and then you go on to infuse it into the patient. So there are different ways. Now, as far as brain cancers go, and it's, in fact, very true of most solid tumors, especially brain cancers. Now, you can imagine the brain is in an enclosed structure, right? So how do you get it? It's very protected. Mm -hmm. How do you get these uh, the therapeutics in there? Immunotherapy, for example. Even if you get it there, it's not clear it's going to get into the tumor because it may be in an immunosuppressive microenvironment in the sense that the tumors may secrete something which keeps the immune system at bay. So there are multiple steps that one has to cross or take before we can say that uh, immunotherapy is a, an attractive approach for uh, brain tumors. Having said that, we did a couple of years ago, based on laboratory research that we had uh, conducted, uh, there was a phase one clinical trial uh, that uh, was con uh, led by one of my colleagues, Dr. Katua. They showed that immune cells can be infused uh, into the uh, brain very successfully and without adverse effects. So it's safe, right? The, the approach of infusing was developed by uh, our neurosurgeon, Dr. Sandberg. 
And so together, it's now a collective effort, right? Together they showed that it was safe to infuse the cells. Now, we had to use the patient's own immune cells to do the research, just because now we're talking pediatrics, we're talking the brain. You can't have what's called a, uh, an inflammatory GVHD or graft-versus-host uh, reaction if you do use an unrelated donor, or you, you might end up triggering something like that in the brain. You don't want an inflammatory response in the brain. And so we, especially because it was PEDS, we had to do it as, uh, in the context of the, an autologous setting, which means we had to take blood from the patient, expand the patient's own immune cells, and put it back. And so that was safe. Okay, you have massive amounts of cells in the brain. And now, immune cells in the brain, infusing that massive amount of cells did not cause an inflammatory reaction, did not cause an adverse effect, because there are cytokines that are being released as well. And all of that did not result in an adverse effect. We do have to take it into, that was a phase one trial. Now, we do need to take it into um, phase two and phase three trials, perhaps show efficacy, but that was not the goal of that particular study. So we're, we're making strides, but it's going to take a bit. Biodexa Pharmaceuticals is proud to sponsor the glioblastoma, aka GBM, podcast. Biodexa Pharmaceuticals is a small biotechnology company hoping to make a big difference in the treatment of glioblastoma. Using their proprietary nanotechnology, Biodexa is developing liquid formulations of an investigational drug which can be delivered directly and locally into the tumor via an implanted catheter. This drug has been previously investigated in pediatric patients with brain tumors. Biodexa Pharmaceuticals is currently running a clinical trial in patients with recurrent glioblastoma known as the MAGIC G1 trial. To find out more about the MAGIC trial, visit magictrials.com. Imagine waking up from brain tumor removal surgery knowing that your radiation treatment is already underway. That's how gametile therapy works. At the end of brain tumor removal surgery, the neurosurgeon implants the gametiles where the tumor is most likely to return. So instead of waiting to start daily standard radiation treatments that go for weeks, you get a head start against tumor cells and get back to your life sooner. For operable brain tumors of all types, including glioblastomas, brain metastases, menginomas, gametile therapy is a one-time targeted radiation treatment with fewer side effects and a far less chance of hair loss than external radiation. Gametile therapy is tough on tumors and easier on patients and caregivers. Learn more at gametile.com. Gametile therapy is an FDA-cleared radiation therapy for patients with newly diagnosed malignant brain tumors and recurrent brain tumors. Novacure is pleased to support the glioblastoma, aka GBM, podcast. Novacure strives to extend survival in some of the most aggressive forms of cancer through the development and commercialization of their innovative therapy called tumor treating fields. Novacure partners with the glioblastoma research organization to work together on behalf of patients and their loved ones impacted by GBM. To learn more, visit novacure.com. Rune was built by a team of patients, caregivers, and medical experts, consisting of neurosurgeons, neuro-oncologists, psycho-oncologists, radiation oncologists, nurse practitioners, and social workers who have devoted their lives to treating and helping glioblastoma patients. For anyone navigating GBM, Rune offers a wealth of medically vetted digestible video answers to common questions. Answers are organized into major topics ranging from surgery to radiation to caregiver mental health. Check it out at rune.com. Aside from immunotherapy, what other 
different treatments on the horizon make you excited about helping find a cure for brain cancer? My own work has come from a very epigenetics uh, point of view. I've done some of the immunotherapy work, but we've also done epigenetics, and we've also looked at uh, treatments, cellular stress, if you will. Let me start with epigenetics. I talked about rest. I talked about how it folds the chromatin and opens up the chromatin and how that's important for gene expression. There are enzymes, proteins, that actually help rest. All rest does is bring all of those proteins to a particular location on the DNA. And then those proteins do their work of opening up the chromatin and allowing genes to be expressed. So if the, uh, or, or genes to be silenced in the case of rest. And so if you can target those accessory proteins, and there are drugs against those, you can now uh, begin to see that there is an effect on tumor growth. And we've shown this in animal models. So that's one way to look at it. We've talked about immunotherapy. Third aspect that, of therapeutic aspect that we've been looking at is looking at protein deregulation. So at the end of the day, your DNA is transcribed into RNA. RNA is made into protein. Now, a cancer cell is actively dividing, needs more protein. And so the cell, cancer cell, ramps up its synthesis uh, machinery. But these proteins are just long strands of amino acids, very much like your RNA or your DNA, and they have to be folded properly to get functionality. And that folding, the cellular components that fold these proteins into the required uh, conformation for activity, the 3D conformation, that system tends to get overwhelmed. And that causes stress. And so if you can worsen the stress on the cell, the cell usually in response to stress will you know, elevate certain other pathways to cope. And those pathways then become essential for the cells to survive. And so if you can target those pathways, uh, you end up having, uh, you know, you end up killing the cancer cell. In fact, there is a uh, drug called Onc201, which is entering phase three trials at this point for DIPG. And that is something that targets the cellular stress. And in fact, some of the preclinical work for that is just being actually, it has, it has been wrapped up and we are sending it out for peer review. It works along those principles. These are the general uh, sort of ways in which we are looking at the uh, big picture treatment. We also try to target the uh, vasculature. Now, in general, you know, when you use vascular, anti-vascular therapies by themselves, the vasculature is blood vessels they are necessary to supply nutrients to the tumor. And if you take away that source of uh, uh, that supply uh, chain, if you will, you're going to kill the tumor. In general, vascular, uh, anti-vascular therapies haven't been successful, you know, when used alone. And so maybe combination. Even when it comes to immunotherapy, we have to get rid of the uh, immunosuppressive microenvironment. So you can get the immune cells uh, to the general vicinity of the tumor, but if it cannot enter the tumor uh, bed, if you will, uh, it's not going to have an effect. What are some warning signs in children that they may have a brain tumor, going back to your, your work? Okay, so uh, I'm not a physician, <laughs> so I'm going to, in, in conversations with my clinical colleagues, this is what I, um, and also from my per own personal experience, right? What we do know is that um, headaches, early in the morning, late at night, vomiting, seizures, ataxia, meaning, you know, gait problems. What do you mean gait problems? Meaning not being able to walk. Oh, okay. In my own personal situation, I realized my family member was having a problem and they couldn't 
hold things, they would drop, and you know they had hemiparesis, meaning they dragged one of their legs when they walked. So that uh, kind of clued us in that there was a problem, right? Then you have visual disturbances, uh, meaning that you're not able to focus. You may have sp spinal pain. You may have behavioral um, issues. You may have altered mental status, which means you may not comprehend some things, you, or, you, you know, that's a good example of altered mental status. And then even consciousness, uh, meaning you may feel lethargic, you may feel tired. There are many different, and again, depends on the age of, of the patient. All of these in general point towards uh, that you may want to have it uh, evaluated for yeah. a brain tumor. Without causing any anxiety, you know, how can a parent be mindful and aware of their child's behavior? Because, you know, for example, kids may get headaches all the time, but how as a parent, have you seen your colleagues cope with, or at what point do you say like, okay, this is, this is an actual issue? So my, my understanding is that kids end up, um, I, again, having some of these issues with uh, headaches early in the morning or uh, uh, late at night, maybe having vomiting. Behavioral changes apparently are a big clue that something uh, might be happening. Vision issues, language disorders, you stumble on words, and you know, those sorts of, when you begin to see some of that, I don't think, you know, what I'm told is parents definitely should consider a visit to a pediatrician and from there, if recommended, to an oncologist. How do you feel like your work is going to expand over the next couple of years? Because I know your laboratory is working on some really amazing things. Like, what are you most looking forward to or what do you have hopes for with the, the projects you're working on right now? I'd like to bring some of uh, what we're working on, especially with respect to immunotherapy of our work into cl um, clinical trials and see it successfully through, or perhaps we need to you know, look at combination therapies, then that is something that I'd like to do. And so that's from the very um, therapeutic end of, um, of our work. Now, the basic science end of our work is very exciting to me. Okay, that's in many ways, something that uh, really drives uh, our, my group. We'd like to understand clearly when we're talking epigenetics, we're also talking, you know, I, I said we're talking about how chrom chromatin is compacted or decompacted. It's opened up or shut, right, to allow gene expression. There are um, other aspects of the work, uh, location on the DNA, very far away. Okay, can actually uh, regulate or control uh, the expression of a number of genes involved in a pathway. And that's by looping. So it comes in from far away, loops in, and it says all of these genes now on different areas of the chromosome or different chromosomes even can be regulated together. It's a very efficient way of handling uh, you know, gene regulation. And so if you, if you think of a flower, the petals, you can think of them coming into the center and then there's a central place where all of them, all of the uh, petals meet right in a flower. So think of the chromatin being something like that. The center being the area where a, a locus from um, a DNA uh, from a faraway region is now controlling uh, this. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so sometimes the cell may need to take some of these pieces of DNA and move them to a corner so that it has a space and the piece of, uh, you know, uh, a piece of, uh, uh, I would say, some uh, landscape to actually regulate these uh, without, being in, uh, without having interference from other areas of, uh, you know, other uh, pieces of DNA and other uh, regions of DNA. Mm -hmm. 
So you can imagine DNA is several regions of DNA being opened up and you don't want them getting tangled up. So if you push them away to one side and deal with them at, in, in peace, you now can, uh, you know. So that is another way that uh, cells manage. Uh, so these are things that we want to understand in pediatric brain tumors. It's not well studied. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we also want to understand how the neighbors, neighboring cells, support these cancers. During neurogenesis, you have, just during normal brain development, a lot of these cells, as they differentiate and become different, undergo specification into different cell types, they support each other to, to mature. We want to understand how that happens in a normal situation. And then see what, what has gone wrong in, in the brain tumor. We're trying to understand it's the tumor support structure as well. Well, I'm so excited to continue watching your work grow in your laboratory and continuing to have you as a part of our nonprofit organization. So thank you for all the work you're doing. I'm very excited to especially talk about pediatrics since, you know, we just recently launched our Children's um, Hospital LA project, which is our first pediatric project ever. So I'm so excited about that. And I can't wait to continue to have you on and share more of your work in pediatrics. And hopefully we'll get to a place where we find a cure. Absolutely. And, and thank you so much for having me here and for the opportunity to share some of our work with you. I'm very excited to be part of your uh, organization. I'm so excited to have you. It's been so much fun. I remember we like had a Zoom a couple was like over a year ago at this point, and I was like, she is awesome, oh, and I can't you. wait to work together. So I'm just so excited about it. You know, it's <laughs> Me too. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again, and um, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in again to another episode of Glioblastoma, a.k.a. GBM. To get in touch with our organization, visit us online at gbmresearch.org or visit us on Instagram or Facebook at glioblastoma research. Visit us on Twitter at glioblastoma.org or visit us on LinkedIn at glioblastoma research organization. To make a donation to the organization, which is fully tax deductible, visit us online at gbmresearch.org where you can designate your donation in honor of someone or find other methods that you can make a donation with. Thank you again for supporting us, for supporting the show, and we'll see you next week. Welcome back to another Deep Dive with Staff Strong. Today, let's talk about this episode with Dr. Vidya Gopalakrishnan. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I think anytime you get deep into the science of, of brain tumors, of brain cancers, even as someone who for five years has been running a nonprofit, I learn things, right? And mm -hmm. I see, I'm reminded why it's so difficult for organizations like ourselves and, and patients and families fighting this to, to get to that you know moment, right? We're always talking about the silver bullet. And obviously, we largely support GBM, your organization completely. But, you know, the difficulty is that it, that's the primary adult, right? There's mutations within that. It's multiform for a reason. Then you move outside of it, even outside of brain cancers, there's multiple tumors, there's pediatrics, there's adult, right? And so you're entering this space that's so dense by itself. And even past that, it's such a difficult disease just as a tumor, let alone all the classifications that come with that. Right. I really liked how she also mentioned, you know, her herself as a researcher, her main work is in DIPG. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important to talk about because even more so than glioblastoma, DIPG is much more less talked about, mm -hmm. especially, you know, it's like the main tumor in pediatrics. 
And I just, I really like how this episode not only brings to light, like, facts about glioblastoma, but it also does talk a lot about, like, DIPG and different types of pediatric brain tumors. Because, again, like, like you said perfectly, we've been doing this for five years, and I learn something every single time. Yeah. And I think it's really fun to be able to continue learning this because it's not something that's so commonly learned about. So I feel like, especially through this podcast episode, it's extremely informative and I'm excited for everyone to kind of hear more about stuff that, you know, you and I are kind of dealing with on a daily basis. Yeah. And, and that's a great point about DIPG, right? And another, you know, interesting part as, as she was talking that I kind of jumped into is sometimes we have families come to us and, and their kid, right, 20s, is kind of between this pediatric adult world and, and kind of the care that goes within that. So you, you, you take a step to what she talked to during the episode and then you're you put yourself in the shoes of families mm-hmm. that are going through this, right? And all of a sudden you're between these stages of, of a classification, right? And I, I know one family that I've gotten to know very well, and she started as pediatrics and then became adult, right? And is living in this world where then you're transferring um, teams and you're moving parts of the hospital, right? It, 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 beca- it becomes a difficulty within an already incredibly difficult scenario. And I think it's really important to remember and take a step back in our shoes, right, as as founders and, 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 you know, CEOs of our respective organizations to realize brain cancer is, is, is not singular, right? Mm-hmm. We knew that, but there's so many facets of this disease that make it so difficult and families and mothers and fathers for their children, especially when you talk about DIPG, are trying to do everything they can to get more tomorrows with their loved ones. Right. And I'm really excited for this episode so people kind of like, you know, hear more about all these different types of cancers and to kind of continue bringing that much needed awareness to what we're all trying to do, right? Couldn't so, agree more. Yeah. Well, thank you guys again for joining us on another episode of Deep Dive with Staff Strong.